0: I wonder if it's like a rich enough tomi- topic for uh, uh, the gauntlet, like like sex, you know? Like movies about sex, Masons, sex. Whoa. Sex like C P S. Baby. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about You really gotta hit that hard T on the end. You do, yeah.
1: Yeah. Sects. Yeah, that's a yeah. I mean, maybe not individual ones. I don't know how big. How big are these sects? The topic know?
0: is Knights of Columbus. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that's why I meant like collectively, like any <laughs> any film that overlaps with with those guys, guys with little secret societies. Not even secret, what? but little societies. Yeah. I wonder if you could find a list of, like, you know, directors who have been members
2: of those various organizations. Mm, It's possible. That's interesting. Like, I bet a lot of those classic Hollywood guys, like, had to be members of that shit. they
1: probably had their own weird, like... You know, well, Yeah, I mean the Hollywood <laughs> Lodge, you know yeah, the they, Black Lodge. Yeah, they definitely had
2: sects in uh, old Hollywood. <laughs> a lot of sects <laughs> in old Hollywood. Yeah. Speaking of, the policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder. Gentlemen, get the thing straight once and for all. We clear the streets along this route, deploy our men, and create an impassable
1: barrier—a gauntlet, if you will. He will have a chance. I challenge you. I know. <laughs> you want to crown them, they crowd ass. But they are we, they were. And we let them It's hot, it's hot out there. Let's, we all walk out there it's very,
2: very, very hot. Open fire! Hello folks, and welcome to The Gauntlet. I am one of your hosts, Andrew Stasiewicz. And with me here today... On this unholiest of days
0: are Eric Marsh and Ryan Saunders.
2: For those who don't
0: know, The Gauntlet is a
2: weekly double feature podcast in which one of us selects a topic for the week. And the other two hosts are challenged with bringing films to the table that meet the topic, address the topic. We've had it all, we love it all. It was my turn to pick. And if all has gone according to plan, this episode is being released on Halloween. You know, far be it from me to fully be the contrarian that people have accused me many times of being in my life. You know, a person who deliberately zigs when other people are zagging. And while that is very fun, and I think we all enjoy zigging when others zag at times, this is not one of those days. I felt it would seem weird to not do something spooky for an episode being released exactly on October 31st. So I asked the boys to bring me horror films, but not just any old horror films. I was looking for a certain genre mashup this week. I've got Westerns on the brain. I mentioned this last week. I'm putting together a class for next quarter on spaghetti Westerns. So I asked the boys to bring me horror Westerns. Horror on the frontier. Horror goes west. And that is certainly what these two goblins, these two ghouls brought us, folks. We've got a very interesting double feature for you folks today on Halloween. So, with that Aside, let's get in and unearth these spooky, scary, dark films. Uh, I believe that, Marsh, you had the earlier of the two. What have you brought for us today?
1: Yes, thank you, Andy. Uh, Before I I tell you all about my journey, uh, part of my journey... involves ryan because of course he was in town this past week uh and we had a lot of good times hanging out and, and going to the movies uh and i want ryan to to give a rapid fire scene report of of what he saw in chicago because folks he may have been on vacation but as a true soldier of cinema he was not sleeping you know if you know what i mean no, yeah, I was pretty busy, and I'll cap it off with the film. The twelve that, seconds that
0: shook the world. The twelve seconds that shook okay. the world. It'll all lead towards that. That's that very special. W- that's film. That's where I
1: want to get because that's part yeah. of my journey. That's part of the journey. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. No, it was a lot of fun. I watched a, a handful of spooky things and, and normal things. Uh, it was the first thing we watched was during breakfast. We watched after the curfew, which we talked about last week. Would recommend people go check that out. I was able to see Evil Does Not Exist, the new Hamaguchi film at the festival. Great film, awesome, baffling, really strange. Saw In Water, the new out-of-focus Han Su movie. Beautiful, love that it's out-of-focus. Uh, saw the new Pedro Costa musical short, in Focus, lovely, nice to have next to the new Hong Sang-soo. I saw The New Vim Vendors, his Japanese film. He has a th- another 3D documentary, but he made a film in Japan that is a little too cute for me. I think it's fine. It's nice core. It's got a lot of really annoying needle drops. It's like a toilet cleaner who drives around listening to The House of the Rising Sun. Um, it's a little, little too nice for me. Uh, but ultimately, if, if inoffensive in certain respects. You, it's People are going to eat that shit up. Uh, I saw The Vampire Lovers on 35mm, directed by Roy Ward Baker, and they showed a bunch of Roy Ward Baker, like, 240p trailers before the film. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice. laughs> these
1: Did you see Quatermass
0: in the pit? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. And then, like, in part of my time in Chicago when I was in the air, I saw Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny, <laughs> which is just uh, foul, foul garbage. Um, but the most special thing we saw was uh was late one night at Marsh's in the garage when we were thinking about horror westerns and there was one in particular that i had been wanting to see for a very long time uh, but had never been able to track down a good copy of it and we decided to watch the copy that is in existence grim prairie tales but i don't want to steal your thunder marsh i'll let you talk about grim
1: prairie tales (laughs) Here we were, just sitting here watching this fuzzy rip on YouTube that was, like, borderline incomprehensible because of the pixelation. And we were just (laughs) making lots of Janusz Kaminski jokes because it was the first film he was DP for. And, you know, Brad Dorif and James Earl Jones are trading barbs and tales of the Old West. Uh, And one of them, we we did not see it coming. Uh, But it involves... Uh, you know these two, two, two young lovers out in the in the wilderness, and and this guy uh, gets sucked right up into this woman's vagina. And it just like hard cuts back to James Earl Jones, like looking insane, having finished uh, this this grim prairie tale, and then we just went back to to that guy getting sucked up like a hundred times uh, <laughs> over the next couple days because it is it is quite an impressive effect, as you yeah. know. you know they but. had
0: like a skin suit of a man that was inflated. and when he starts to get sucked up, you see his two butt cheeks <laughs> compress and the air gets sucked out of that and then he like he slithers in. Uh, my biggest regret with that sequence, like I, one thing I wish they had done is it he screams in agony as he gets sucked in. And I think it was like a big missed opportunity for him to just be loving it, you know, to just go out with a bang feeling great.
1: Yep. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Uh, and yeah. the point is, is that, yeah, uh, <laughs> didn't pick Grim Prairie Tales, although yeah. if you're interested, <laughs> you can see The 12 Seconds That Shook the World. Search for Grim Prairie Tales and Reverse Birth (laughs) on on YouTube, uh, and you'll get sucked right up. You know, Uh, highly recommended. Make sure you type in Grim Prairie Tale, because
0: I typed in Reverse Birth by itself and was a bit haunted by what came up. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) So just be mindful of that.
1: All right. Uh, sorry. Uh, sorry for the delay. Um, so yeah, uh, I had no idea what to do. You know, um, I think, uh, we can all maybe agree that, you know, if there is a master of the horror Western, it's probably someone you didn't expect because it's Clint Eastwood folks. Uh, he's made at least on my count, three horror Westerns and I'm including the beguiled. Uh, he's the king who knew, I didn't like actually recognize that, you know. Well, like, what, what's but he didn't f- direct Pale... the Beguiled, though. Yeah, That's but seagull. Yes, isn't it is. Yes, yeah. you're right. But technically, Pale Rider, High Plains Drifter, the Beguiled. To me, that's Clint's like horror trilogy. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nobody does it like that. But we've we've talked Clint to death. You know, I wasn't going to do that. Um, you know, there's classic ones. I thought of you know, Ravenous Tremors. We even did clear cut which you could say is a, mm-hmm. is a horror western much uh, earlier on in our in our tenure here um, and ultimately I settled on a film that has been getting a lot of uh, I guess bu- buzz, for lack of a better word, uh, in the last couple years because it's a film that has been restored and is really being seen by a lot of people for the first time. Uh, and that is the 1983 American independent horror film Eyes of Fire, a.k.a. Crying Blue Sky, uh, and maybe not a.k.a., slightly different films, and we'll talk about that Um, this film uh, was, yeah, like a relatively low budget, you know, early 80s horror film. It it had a minor distribution and then basically uh, vanished. You know, I think there was a VHS, but uh, no one had seen it in in a really, really long time until recently, and I thought it would be a good opportunity to check it out. And... I was right, you know? Um, (laughs) This film was written and directed by Avery Kraunt, who was a still photographer before uh, he became a filmmaker, which uh, certainly explains a lot of, I think, the the picturesque and sort of like well-composed element uh, of this film. Um, But ultimately it is uh, a folk horror film about a preacher named Will Smythe, who is uh, living a sort of polygamous life on the American frontier in 1750. Uh, And this gets him and his, uh, you know, uh, what do I, uh, his... uh, Cohort. Yeah, his His cohort. (laughs) Uh, This gets Smythe and his cohort uh, very quickly, uh, you know, booted, out of the town that they're living in uh, and they head off into the wilderness and you know we'll get into all the characters uh, later but uh, they ultimately uh, wander you know they get into some danger with some Shawnee and then they ultimately wander into what is essentially uh, cursed land you know this sort of haunted valley that they end up in and where most of the film transpires um, the group includes uh, a woman who may or may not be a witch. Well, the film does settle that definitively. But uh, a woman that may or may not be a witch, Leah, as well as uh, Smythe's like new uh, sort of girlfriend, Eloise, and her daughter, who is the narrator of the film. And I should should explain that that the film is is narrated sort of ambiguously in the version we watched, and and I guess this is a great place to start. Uh, we watched Crying Blue Sky, which was the original version of the film, uh, but is not the version that most people have seen, and it was not really the version that made the, the rounds in its theatrical run in the 80s. I was under the slightly mistaken idea that this was a director's cut. They're both director's cuts. Um, and, and there are, there are significant differences that, like, ultimately don't really matter is what I sort of discovered. You know, it's the same story, but some of the techniques are a little different. And in Eyes of Fire, uh, the story is less coherent and less character-driven. There's more, like, shock cuts, uh, and there's more, like, explicit scares. I, I feel like, I, I think he, like, showed it to a bunch of people, and they they were kind of like this is boring or whatever, yeah. you know. And and then he made like a the exciting version, which is which is Eyes of Fire. And I'll I'll bring up up some of the distinctions along the way. But uh, okay. But yeah, the narration is a huge thing because the narration is completely different in in the two films. That's actually like the main difference, not the narration, but the frame story. Anyway, I'm already lost in the weeds, just like the characters <laughs> in the va- yeah. the cursed Valley of the Dead. Um, There's a lot going on. Uh, One other major character that I want to bring up is Marion, who's the sort of like Hawkeye of the film, a man, a white man who is sort of conversant and friendly with the Shawnee, maybe the implication that, uh, you know, he even lived with them for a time, and he's a, he's a fur trapper, and he was gone so long his wife took up with the polygamous preacher, and so he's like coming to find his wife and daughter, his daughter Fanny, who's narrating the movie uh, in our version from this very ambiguous place that's revealed at the end. Um, and so he, as the sort of Hawkeye of the film, represents this sort of like opposite or different approach to the frontier than Smythe, the preacher, who is very much the uh, sort of, yeah, like manifest destiny, Protestant work ethic, frontier theology guy, you know, uh, goes on and on and on. Um, and so that's like a big conflict within the movie. Of course, the bigger conflict is that, yeah, they're in a fucking haunted valley. And uh, I guess that's, uh, that's where, I'll, where I'll stop. Uh, now uh, as we get into it. As we get into Crying Blue Sky, not Eyes of Fire. So just FYI, if you're listening to that, want to be clear, we're talking about Crying Blue Sky, the original version of this film. Really, the director's cut before he got cold feet and tried to spice it up, from what I understand, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's Eyes of Fire, 1983. Thank you,
2: Marsh. Ryan. How about your little bit of Western horror? What did you bring for our listeners?
0: I chose a film that I've actually wanted to bring on the pod for a long time and have come very close on multiple occasions. The most notable of which, Andy, I think you will find some humor in. I This was the film I was very close to picking for No Parents, No Rules, but I was thinking at the time maybe I should try something a little more serious. I don't know, I don't know like what I was on. Wow, uh, a- at that point. I think it's like when I do the algorithm in my head of when I decide to deploy a movie like this, uh, it has to come at some key junctures because if I oversaturate the market with <laughs> direct video children's films, I just feel like I'm an asshole. <laughs> and now felt like a great time to bring it in uh but i will say you can imagine right like do you already see it how that would have clearly been more applicable to no parents no rules oh than... yes i see it i see it. <laughs> i wish you had seen it then <laughs> um i think i also like almost brought it for missing persons man there's a, <laughs> it's a worked film for that...
2: time travel too you know
0: sure yeah i mean it's a it's a dense work and it's one that I've been preoccupied by and one I think about a lot, and I'm glad that finally I was able to find the confidence to bring it to us today. So the film I selected is a Pulse Pounders production <laughs> from 1998 called Phantom Town. As I said, this is a direct-to-video horror film with children as the primary audience, but I remembered when I saw it really being struck by how frightening this must have been to have seen as a child. I should admit, I did not see this film as a child. Uh, This is something I discovered in rather recent years. I found the aesthetic appealing when I was looking into it, and I think it really delivers. So this film, to give like a quick summation of what is going on in it, it opens with this insane rager. As I was mentioning, no parents, no rules. That's the situation we jump into right at the beginning. In this house, seemingly in like the middle of nowhere because this thing was filmed on like studios in Romania or something like that. Really bizarre. It's a full moon production yeah, as well. F- I was so gonna that's going say, like...
1: the full moon touch right there. <laughs> some back Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this house, they, like, they seemingly have no neighbors but like, my God, like all the kids in are at this party. There's fucking fireworks going off on the front lawn. The strobe lights are out of control. The camera is canted as far as it could possibly go. And we're introduced to our, like, main... Gif- main family members a group of siblings who are who live in this house and are throwing this party two of which are like rock star brothers there's the older brother who kind of like hops up and down singing a sad little baby boy song and his brother his younger brother kind of shredding on the guitar and then they have a, a you know, the youngest of them all their little sister this is uh, mike arnie and cindy and they get a call from their parents while they're throwing this rager so they cut the they cut the music they tell everyone to quiet down and they learn that their parents that they're coming home from some like big conference or something like that it's really vague but they're lost on the road and they're like oh we like we made a wrong turn your dad fell asleep and they're calling on their portable phone in the car that they keep referring to but then their parents decide to pull over into this town longhand to see if they can get some directions on how to like get back home But then the line drops dead, and the parents don't come home for a couple days. They're missing. So the children decide to take it upon themselves and go find mom and dad. After some few, you know, late night drives, they end up at this general store run by a Native American man who tells them a story about both braves who go on spirit quests and don't return because they get lost in their dreams, and how there is this town called Longhand that you can only enter. Through your dreams. And that is how these children end up in this town. They start falling asleep on the late night road itself and they enter into Longhand. And what they find there, quite spooky. Longhand seems to be stuck in the year 1882. They enter into a Wild West town where no one recognizes anything that these children are saying or wearing, etc., etc. And while that might seem fun at first, it takes it very dark. And sinister turn, full of Lovecraftian horror, goopy special effects, hilariously bad late 90s CGI, it's got it all. Uh, this film you know the best way to kind of encapsulate it is that it really feels like an episode of Goosebumps for an hour and a half but i think it like delivers significantly more than an episode of Goosebumps does whenever i return to an episode of Goosebumps i'm like ah this kind of sucks and i mean like yeah this movie kind of sucks but i also think it fucking rocks and it it lives up in my mind of what watching Goosebumps at a child felt like and i think part of that is because the guy who directed it Jeff Burr is sort of a seasoned horror film director that made a lot of, like, gory sequels. Jeff Burr made Texas Chainsaw 3, Leatherface, Stepfather 2, Pumpkinhead 2, and Puppet Master 4 and 5. It's in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And, um, sad to say, I learned he died just a couple of days ago. Oh, damn. He died, uh, yeah, October 10th. He was only 60. Um, so that's about two weeks from now. Yeah, R.I.P. Jeff. Also, the direct, Avery Crounce, the director of Ice of Fire, died this year. Yeah, in the spring. Um, yeah. yeah, so a little tribute episode to some frontier horror, Whoa. you know?
2: Well, we can't be accused of the gauntlet curse anymore because
0: you hadn't picked the films yet. yet. That's right. No? Exactly, exactly. Didn't Nothing play more. wrong yeah. this time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say at the top here about Phantom Town. It is full of <laughs> so many... Fucking like funny lines i just like think some of the things they say in this movie just really make me giggle and i'm excited to hear in particular what you two thought of these boys (laughs) because they are you know we've always laughed about derky but i was waiting to bring this on because these two boys goodness gracious uh but yeah that is phantom town from 1998 Thank you, Ryan. Thank you both. Uh,
2: you you definitely delivered in unexpected ways, but very, <laughs> very pleasant ways for the topic. You know, I guess what's interesting to me on a certain level when I looked at both of these films after the fact is, um, or I guess what I find sort of interesting is that Already the theme this week, the idea this week was sort of a like a hybrid genre, you know, a deep dive into kind of, uh, you know, the hybridization of genre, Western horror. But both of these films are, I almost think, even more multifaceted, almost another element of of genre mashup attached to each of them. Because I sort of when i you know finished both of these films looked at uh phantom town as having also a certain sci-fi element to it that there was almost a, a science fiction uh aspect to the horror and in the case of um clear crying uh, blue sky crying blue sky <laughs> crying blue sky um I I saw it ultimately as something almost drifting into like fantasy territory. Hundred percent, you know that that both of these films are are sort of hard to pin down, you know. And obviously, I think Phantom Town wears the threads of, you know, the, the classic Western genre threads. Uh, a little bit more, you know, in that 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 sense, right? They're going mm-hmm. into the actual town, right? And it's it's playing on the tropes of, you know, western films that that yeah. more people, I think, uh, imagine when you hear of a western. But where it goes from there, um, it it got very unexpected. Uh, the twists and the turns were very unexpected, I should say. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting in in that. You know, both of these films uh, have, uh, beyond their surface, like a lot more going on than meets the eye in in very, very interesting ways.
0: Yeah, it's like good fusion food, you know? If you're going to collide some standard cuisine, you still have to add like a few more ingredients to make sure that it's palatable. And I think that both of these films kind of show then... How in order to like balance everything out, they needed to get a little more s- spicy and creative with with what they
1: were doing. One of the layers, well, look, I'll be honest; these films have the same exact plots. Yes, and I mean, and I mean, they're identical in the sense that in both films, they are they are basically like they cross a threshold into this like other world, right? And in both cases. It, they're both films of, like, colonial folly. I mean, that's the backstory of Phantom Town, this children's film. When they meet the the guy at the gas station, he tells them, he says, 120 uh, uh, years ago, some white men built a town on some old ruins, a sacred place to all things that lived before mankind. And that's even the implication in Crying Blue Sky is that, like, the Shawnee won't even go into this valley because what lives in this valley is older and scarier than than anything, you know, right? Right. And what right. happens? These white settlers try to build a life on this, like, sacred ground or this, like, evil ground. So, like, they're literally, yeah, like, playing with that idea, both of the films, you know, in very different ways, but... Right, right. <laughs> Well, I couldn't stop thinking about how
0: there's one line in Phantom Town when they when they are finally arrived in Longhand, and in, in, in order for the children to rationalize what they're seeing, they're like, oh, no one's—you know, they keep saying it's 1882 because— they're all in costume. This is one of those like Disney world type places. They specifically say it's just like colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> and it was very funny <laughs> watching Phantom town right after eyes of fire, thinking about, yeah, that colonial connection. <laughs>
2: what's, what's kind of funny about it. Or I think, um, what's, 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 also like interesting. It's, it's funny in the case of Phantom town, but it's, it's certainly much more interesting in the case of, uh, crying blue sky slash eyes of fire is that you know when they're told this this aspect right of the of the place you know that that these are ancient you know evil cursed sort of spaces and and yes the the information that's given to them is this this predates like everything and everyone this is ancient 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 in in the phantom town when this like shitty fucking teen is being told this by this 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 Native American gentleman, he just kind of like turns to his siblings and he's like, Indian burial ground. You know, that's what he means, right? Indian burial ground. And it's like, no, that's not what he means. It's it's not an Indian burial ground. It's 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 older than that. It's it's even, you know, unknown uncharted by the the native americans who used to roam those lands and it's the same thing in uh crying blue sky where it's like no this this predates even our arrival to these lands as you've mentioned you know this is older than old but of course you know uh uh that that leads to different Outcomes for, for, I guess, both, but similar
0: <laughs> kind of Yeah, outcomes. well, one's got, like, lizard-octopus people, and another one has just, like, mud people with yellow eyes. But <laughs> both have
1: people being sucked into the earth. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes. And the idea that, like, it's coming out of the earth, you know?
0: Oh, and so much of these spaces themselves having life. That the, that the space, the environment is personified. It's very literal in Phantom Town because you start to realize that if you take a knife to the upholstery of a chair, and you cut into it or you shoot a bullet at the wall. It oozes green goo blood. Like everything in this space is alive. And the, the people are just shells. You know, it's kind of like body snatchers. It's all this big ecosystem. And then in Eyes of Fire, of course, we have the people who themselves are sort of absorbed into trees. We have all these faces uh, on trees. Which actually it was funny because I had just watched um, The Guardian the William Friedkin horror film and it does something similar more with like little baby faces they put like the druids put a bunch of baby faces in the trees but there's something similar there especially with like the roots the way people get sucked into the ground like people are sort of of this land they are of the earth itself it's all one
1: big living ecosystem and there's also the french the ghosts of the dead french colonialists as well roaming around i yes. mean there's yeah yes. there's a lot of like you know, things manifesting, you
2: know? but I was also going to say even more, uh, more directly to connect that. Like you mentioned in, in the phantom town when, when, you know, one of the dweeby kids, yeah, is like, look at this, look, everything's oozing. And like the, the, <laughs> the world, yeah, it's just, it's, it's bleeding this green goo. There are moments where they're, um, tilling the land and, you know, they they strike the the ground with like a hoe, and it's it's it bleeds. So right. in in eyes of fire slash you know, crying yeah. blue sky, that happens. And I believe there's scenes where you know when striking the trees. Uh, it's as if they're striking like living beings. I know that technically a tree is a living being, but I mean something a little bit more fleshy folks Mm -hmm. than, than necessarily like woody or solid, but like, yeah, there's, there's goopy moments where they're, they're, they're cutting into that, that earth and it's bleeding. And in fact, I think that's, that's the essence of the curse. They describe that this is a place that has collected the blood of all those who have died um, is it like
1: particularly violent deaths? Is that what or they like, say? Yeah, like evil deeds or something. You yeah. Know? Just, yeah. yeah, all the bad vibes of the world like go there basically. Yes, like
2: it's the the blood is pooling under this particular spot, and when it fills up, that's when it all starts to spill out into all these apparitions and and monsters and and haunted. Uh, you know, specters and that sort of thing.
1: You know, I read that uh, Kraunce was, was, is, or is, was a, uh, an animist himself. So he truly, you know, and I think that's felt in the movie, again, this idea that like everything is, is living and everything has a spirit, you know? Yeah. Um, And, and yeah, conveying that in the film, because it does feel like this complete ecosystem where every step affects something else, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, one question I have for you, March, just cause
0: it's been like itching with curiosity about the original cut of eyes of fire. And maybe this is getting too, that's what
1: we watched.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, excuse <laughs> me. The theatrical cut, like yeah. what played in theaters. Yeah. Um, I've just been so curious. Cause I, one thing I did read was that the, the beginning
1: and ending are different. Like it has somewhat of a different frame yes.
0: to it. And what, what is that?
1: So in eyes of fire, the film opens with a couple of French colonial officials talking to the three girls, Fanny, Meg, and and the other one. And they're like, what happened out there? Uh, And they're like, well, this is what happened. And And then it flashes back. And in Crying Blue Sky, there are just completely decontextualized shots of Fanny and of the little girl And then there's just shots of the sky and landscape as the voiceover starts. And you're just like...
0: It was magic. Magic. And how will I be telling that to someone? If they don't believe in magic, they'll think it all an exaggeration. But it must be true. It's what we saw. We almost died in the second woods. Evil itself was in that forest, not without some kind things too, you know. It was magic.
1: You know, they're talking to someone who at the end it's revealed to be a priest. Uh, but yeah, there's no, like the whole French uh, guys, those are, they're not in the film that we watch. Interesting. You know.
0: Yeah, I feel like that would give you some stable ground, but to borrow the parlance from Phantom Town, I did feel as though I dreamt my way into Crying Blue Sky, yes. Eyes of Fire, because the flow in the beginning is so perplexing, and especially with like the dueling narrations at first. And I, you know, I don't know who they're talking about, what the hell's going on. The town seems to get really mad. I was having a hard time, like, what are they so mad about? Saying, you know, they're just like, the promised land of English and Irish equality, you know. <laughs> That's like a funny, like, vision of, like, prosperity. But yeah, it's all, it's like, it, it's so much collides at the beginning. And you kind of slide into this film. And then you end up just trekking with this group of people after they, like, you know float down the river after like leaving town um, and then there's all these like things peppered in these like mystical elements you know the guys the preacher strung up on it by the neck and then there's this like mysterious little lightning optical effect that saves him and everyone thinks he's cursed he thinks he's jesus christ and that other one She's possessed. All these mysterious things that do feel like they are totally without context in many respects. Well,
1: yes. Narratively, they feel like that. But I think why it works is that they're all sort of referencing well-known American myths. So Mm. the town is mad because this, this guy is living with multiple women, right? He's Mm -hmm. living with Leah, and he's living with Eloise. supposed man of God is living in sin. And so, of course, that's playing on Joseph Smith, the prophet himself, you know, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Obviously. So that's like signpost one. And then we're ushered into, yeah, maybe Leah's a witch, and this is also like the mob in the Salem witch trials, right? So we're moving already through, like, two well-known kind of frontier myths. Uh, but I agree, the way it's done, it just throws you in and you have, like, no idea who any of these people are, or what, what any of it means, you know? And I think that's what The Eyes of Fire cut tries to, like, straighten some of the stuff out. But it's also 20 minutes shorter. So yeah. somehow, from what I understand, it's, like, way more incoherent than right. Crying Blue Sky. But... From there, yeah, you know, it's like, then we're into the Cursed Land myth, you know?
0: Yeah, once we enter the Cursed Land, it's like, yeah, A to B to C. Like, it it <laughs> makes sense in a sequential manner. Because I did read that, that the theatrical cut is kind of incoherent when it feels like there's big gaps in between a lot of those set pieces. Yeah. And this one didn't feel as much.
1: Well, one really radical thing that, that's not in Eyes of Fire is the character of Sister... Uh, that is is all over. Crying blue sky is cut entirely out uh, of Eyes of Fire. I mean, she's wow. there because she's like a part of the group, and she does like walk off to her death in that film. But people apparently watching just go like, "Why? Yeah. What? What? Why? Why is? Why did that woman? This is the just woman that off? doesn't the blind woman. Oh, the bl- oh the sister. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The old woman. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, that's my favorite character. She gets hit on the head with a rock. Yeah. she's she's yeah. not in Eyes of Fire, Ryan. That's crazy. <laughs> she's my favorite part of the movie because she gets like banged on the head and she's just like, oh, oh, I can't see, I can't see. And then like later in the film, she gets hit on the head again and she's like, oh, oh, I can see. And then there's like two other moments after that point where she gets hit on the head yeah. again. Yeah.
2: she gets bonked a lot.
0: And I kept I kept waiting for her to be like, oh. I can't, I can't see it, see it again. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, it's back again.
1: No, it's awesome because like, yeah, the preacher like can, can claim a miracle when her sight is restored, but it is unclear. Even in the voiceover, Fanny's like, we were never sure if she was like faking being blind or not, yeah. you know, she
2: probably just had a very bad concussion, you but know? <laughs> the, you know, I
1: think it's apt. This film is about blindness, right? The blindness of the preacher and his arrogance and his followers. Like, yeah. That this is the promised land, you know. Um, and yet, yeah, they, they had to they had to cut cut poor sister out of it. Yeah, wow. you're
2: right. They did definitely uh miss a lot of reads, you know. They missed the read in a lot of situations throughout the film. Oh yeah. That's I mean, for sure.
1: They uh well you know this movie <laughs> Starting with a very big read
2: that they missed, you know, <laughs> that uh although I guess what's interesting is is their arrival to this specific area that we're talking about was, was not at first necessarily the preacher's idea. It was a very practical decision. Yeah, it was the trapper's
1: idea. In yes. Fact.
2: Yes. Marion Dalton's idea. Like we can hide in here because the Shawnee are superstitious about it. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll hide in here because they're superstitious, but, I'm not, right? Like, we'll go in here, we'll be fine, is kind of his initial take on it.
1: Yeah. And that's a very bad read. I mean, bad reads throughout. Uh, I want to bring up, I think, Eyes of Fire has some very obvious cinematic influences, I think, that it wears on its sleeve. Um, Most obviously, Aguirre, The Wrath of God, is a film that I, I think, like, if you've seen it and you watched this movie, you go like wow, this is like an an American Aguirre Wrath of God. Uh, So much so that yeah, the initial sort of escape when they, you know, they lock everyone in the town. <laughs> they lock everyone in the town in and steal their shit uh, and, and head off on a stolen ferry. And then they're just, like, lazily floating down the river like Aguirre and all his buffoons. And just like in that film, they're assaulted by an unseen, Shawnee enemy. And there are, yes, rocks flying. people are gone blind, you know? People getting shot with arrows, you know, just out of nowhere. Yeah. Um and yeah. Kind of like apocalypse now. And as that as well. well. Yes. I mean that may be a more yeah, a more obvious uh touchstone in in the time it came out, but there's also a lot of malick all over this film, I think with the voiceover. Definitely. And also, you know, this this film Ryan was the first to point the camera at the sun uh oh yeah through, i through did the, read that through the tree through the through the trees they yeah did met. you know that name? it's the
0: first movie that ever pointed the camera at the sun <laughs> sorry
1: this is a bad old
0: joke of yeah, ours. yeah but. it's just bad it, yeah <laughs> no i completely agree about the aguirre thing because i kept thinking that what eyes of fire was missing was a popova score well like And I'm curious how different the theatrical cut music is. Now that I had a problem with the music and also absence thereof in what we watched, I felt like there was a lot of moments that almost felt like they could have used an original score and it was interesting that they excluded it. But
1: what were you going to say? Well, there's quite a bit of music in the film.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. But wouldn't it be cool if it was like... Popova doing like an Aguirre well, score. Yeah, sure. You what know. I
1: was going to say is that it's not Popova, but do you know who did the score for Crying Blue Sky, aka The no, of Fire? This guy, you know? Brad Fidel. Do you know who Brad Fidel is? Yeah. He, he, he did a little film a year later you might have heard of called. The Terminator. Oh. Uh, and then went on to become one of the most like prolific composers of the era. But it's all Brad Fiel synthesizers. Yeah. And fun fact, he started as a musician as a keyboardist in Hollow Notes. So Wow. Uh, he rocks, you know, and he made you know. Yeah. You know. I'll put that in, you know. So um You know, it's kind of like, honestly, I'd, I hate to, to bring up our film uh, again for the millionth time, but it reminded me of what Chandeliers did with the order score, which is like, tried not to be there while being there. You mm-hmm. know, it's, a, yes. it is like, it's trying to not be, not be there. It's, it's just more like low ambient. rumbling synths yeah. and ambient stuff. So yeah, it's not as good as Popov. I agree, but it's in the, it's in the same vein. You know? No, it's true.
0: It's a very unobtrusive score in a very cool way. Yeah. Do you know who would have done a great job doing that score? Toasty Pillow, the band at the beginning of Phantom Town. No, oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh my god! What is their fucking deal? All right, so like yeah, they're yeah. dressed, they're dressed like a fucking British invasion band, yeah. But yes. then they're playing some like unholy mixture of like 90s punk slash like alternative rock, like soft uh, new metal. Dude, what is their deal? <laughs> you know, what is going on? I mean, I wrote down too,
2: like you know, 35 year olds rocking out with like the the kids or whatever, because like. So you have the young boy who's probably like 13 or something on guitar. You mentioned shredding his brother who is presumably still like, I would say in high school, 17, he's supposed to be, but he looks like he's 26. And then the drummer, when you suddenly get a shot of the drummer, like, yeah, now knowing the, that it was shot in Romania, yeah, it's like they grabbed like a 35-year-old Romanian session <laughs> drummer to like fill in. He is a clearly like a full-on adult man at this party with a bunch of tweens. And and they are, yes, as you mentioned, rocking harder than I've ever seen a movie band rock uh before. I mean, yeah. it is it is outrageous this 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 party that you 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 kick the film off with and and also like very haunted and very cursed as well because it's like yeah. it it's it's there are elements to it that make it seem like a Halloween party, but it's not a Halloween party. There <laughs> yeah. they're they like aren't costumes but, it, like, yes, they're kind of in, in costumes that are meant to sort of, I guess, look like something out of a Roger Corman Poe film. But, yeah, as you mentioned, it's... It's, it's
1: like Fourth of July party, too. You know, it's like super soakers and fireworks. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. imagined all-American thing. Yeah. It looked like a really expensive party, too. Oh, sure, sure. It, it was,
2: like, and, and uh, also, like, yeah, I mean... Where are the cops? I mean, this party is, it's, folks. You can't, you can't picture there's how no booths, insane. You know, these kids are high on life. Sure, you know? I mean noise complaints. <laughs> I mean, something. I don't. But know. Again, but again,
0: it looks like they're in the middle of nowhere, Romania. See, that is the
2: that is the thing. I guess that's how they got away with it, because folks, you can't see any yeah, houses. This house is like in the middle of a field. I mean, there's there's <laughs> nothing
1: around it. It looks like it was erected like the day before. And
2: by the way, too, I have to mention this. Like, it's insane architecture because like, I was, I just was marveling at the inside of this house. Like, I spent a lot of time just analyzing the space. (laughs) Because did you notice how high the ceilings yeah. were, folks? there are yeah. like it's like twenty foot high ceilings. This is like a, a, a very very strange house on the inside. And the thing that also was like really fucking with me because it's yes, it's clearly like a studio set of some kind, right? But like this thing was lit in in a very very strange way. I mean, this thing, the, the old, party itself, and just the inside of the house. I mean, yes, the uh-huh. party. Yes, it was way too dark. Uh it was it was like it was just just little shafts of light everywhere, but very like cool gray kind of interior colors. It did not look like a home at all. Like it didn't look no. like people lived in there and people clearly don't. But like <laughs> I just kept writing like touch of evil ass lighting. Like everything was lit in this very like low key, almost like film noir kind of way. And it's supposed to be a place of like joy and warmth and kids. But this house was like Baroque on the inside and it wasn't intentional at all. It's like
1: strobing too. There's like strobe lights and the editing is like rapid, but not logical. So like, that whole opening is really just unsettling. like a, a total assault
0: yes. and very it really unsettling. Is. Yeah. And all their parents can think to ask is like, are you making a mess?
1: Well, okay. Like you, you <laughs> I want to talk about that particular moment because there's, there's also that element where these boomer parents are like so weird and ineffectual and like on Valium or something. And in that interaction <laughs> with their, you know, they're talking to their kids and the mother, you know, is like, hey, t- ask them, uh, you know, ask them if they're making like, making a mess or whatever. And the dad is like,
2: this is your father speaking. How many times have I told you no parties when we're not there?
0: Ask them if they're making a mess.
2: Are you making?
0: I'm not asking. That's not a father question. Ask them.
1: You know, the classic, like, fellas. Is it gay to ask if someone made a mess? You know? <laughs> right. And he's like, yes. Yeah. And he like hands her the phone because he that would be like emasculating yeah. to ask if like the house was a mess. Just such so, so weird. What yes. a weird little detail. Yeah.
2: There there aren't a whole lot of what I would describe as like human interactions in this film. You no. know? I mean, I, I almost felt that there was like more. Sort of like warmth and understanding uh, when the kids were talking to the like cursed looping like ghost cowboys, then there were like these family members talking about just life, you know, just life in the house. I mean, especially when like the fucking uncle, uncle. rolls in, dude. Yeah. When uncle, oh my God, and the uncle comes in extremely hot
1: and extremely weird as well. Played by director Jeff Burr. Oh, oh man. no kidding. Yeah, Jeff Burr plays the uncle. And that's why he's so high-key. Yeah. You know? I
2: don't want any excuses. I just want to find my brother. Well, you're the sheriff's department, aren't you? Me? I'm Jack Reeves, the guy who pays your salary.
0: He's being a real freak. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about, like, when the parents are, like, telling... They're calling the kids on their way home from the conference to let them know that they're getting lost... And they like just don't, don't know when they are and when they'll be back. And then like it's the son's instinct. Mike, she's like, "Mom, just tell Dad to pull over and call the automobile club." Yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, cool. Like that's what I would say to my parents." Dude, you
2: know, <laughs> honestly, the more I the more I think about it, it's like this whole thing very much reads like yes, like like actually like a Romanian man wrote this thing, and like. <laughs> was like how do people in america interact you know i've got to i've got to capture the essence of 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 american people and american teen parties and stuff like that it's all just slightly off in a way you know that 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 adds to the uncanny effect of this this movie being something that is very you know horrific and and terrifying ultimately because as you mentioned like this is for kids but i kept watching this and being like I would never show this to my child. Like I would not yeah. want my child to see this because I feel like it would give them it would give my child nightmares, but not because of like the 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 explicit, you know, horror movie moments, just the whole uh the whole fandango. It's really <laughs> like it sends like honestly
1: like a chill up my spine just just thinking yeah. about the 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 whole
2: goddamn thing. I mean, I think,
1: <laughs> you know, to your point, Ryan, I was going to say, you know, Durkee alert, Durkee alert, you know. Uh, Mike, the older brother, got to be one of the worst character. like in a funny way, of course, to yeah. to a certain extent. But got to be one of the all time worst characters we have had on the gauntlet. yeah. This actor, John Patrick White, doing a discount Jim Carrey in this children's film is, like, gotta be one of the worst performances I've ever seen. And a lot of it is, like, his lines. You know, he is given the worst lines you can imagine to say constantly, but this guy's a piece of work, you know?
2: It's like one of those, um...
0: You know, like like Colonial Williamsburg.
2: You think this is a theme park? Well, what do you think happened?
1: That we've traveled back in time.
0: That we've entered another dimension. Woo-hoo,
1: please, <laughs> come on. They, these people—they just—they
2: uh, dress up in costumes and pretend like it's the Wild West. It's uh, what do you call it? Like a, a historical recreation. Check it out.
0: Hey, hop along. What year is this?
1: wood it's 1882 any fool knows that
0: right right uh look at us look at the way we're dressed huh you know what
2: this is that's a digital wristwatch baby you know what digital means
0: can't say do. i do think that the younger brother arnie is also at a similar tier of uh dreadful performing quality oh yeah. it, he he reminds me of how i acted in like little films i made as a kid like that level of like being a good actor and the way i spoke i mean it's so it's one of those things where you see these children's films and so often that the way the children speak seems to be informed entirely by other children's films and media and having like no basis in reality and i mean that is Ultimately, then I guess it's kind of like a snake eating its tail thing because then when you're a kid, you talk the way you see people talk in movies for a little bit, like you absorb some of that stuff. And I was like seeing like some funny parallels with that guy, Arnie. And then even with Arnie, too, you were talking about the design of that house, Andy, and how haunting it is. Think about the production design. Of his bedroom, yeah, that's what in that scene about. when he's like sitting on the bed with his laptop, searching the net as he says for the town of Longhand. And he's got his like Fender Stratocaster on the bed with him. He's got the uh, bowling pin and the bowling ball on his nightstand. Respect. But then the piece de resistance. Did you notice what was uh, on the wall above
1: above his bed? It was too fuzzy on my screen to really uh, to really get it. Oh, it's like a, it's like a poster of a chimpanzee,
0: like chatting on the phone or doing like <laughs> human stuff. I obviously don't think it's our guy from MVP, but it, I mean, it, it gives that, you know, that is, it feels as though he has, it. there's an MVP cameo in this film oh above his bed.
2: Yeah, dude, that, that moment in there was again exactly what i'm talking about because yeah when in terms of this like strange way of phrasing everything like it's it was like it was written in romanian and then translated poorly into english (laughs) because like yeah as you you mentioned when when the brother goes in he's like what are you doing the specific line i wrote it down because i was like what the fuck the the kid is sitting there with his laptop and he goes what are you still doing
0: up searching the road maps on the net You know, there's no town named Longhand.
2: I'm searching the roadmaps on the net. That is the exact phrasing he used. (laughs) Searching the roadmaps on the net.
1: Yeah, same. The fuck is that? (laughs) Like, the fuck is that?
2: But you know what it is between them, as I think we've kind of both nailed, is that the older brother is like, I'm in a comedy. Yeah. And the younger brother's like, this is my big ticket. I'm in a drama. I'm in a serious horror film <laughs> or whatever. Or, And they just like do not match up at all. No. Their, their yeah, no. energies, their deliveries like are completely,
1: completely like water and oil. To me, he's doing like film noir as well. Yeah, which again, that's what you mean. You I know, kept writing like, Touch
2: of Evil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no?
1: And we should say, you know, like uh, Crying Blue Sky, this film has a frame narrative, and the Phantom Town opens with. Uh, and it didn't call goosebumps to me. It called. Are, Are you, you afraid, afraid of, of the dark? dark? Hell yeah. yeah. Yes, I yeah. meant to bring that up as well. Yeah, yes. Which was a huge <laughs> touchstone for me. I was like obsessed with that as a kid. And so the kid comes out with the flashlight, and he's like, Oh, he's got a lantern. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, lantern. He's like, I'm Philip Marlowe or whatever. And it's like, what is going on with this? With this like pulp? This attempt at pulp. It's
0: quiet out here at night. Kind of lonely. Like everything's all empty. But it's hiding stuff too. It is, you know, hiding stuff. I'm going to tell you a story about some things that hide out here in the desert. Nobody knows what they're called. I don't even think they have names like we do.
1: And again, it's like, I don't want, you know, that's direction too. It's like, yes, the kid's fault, but like they're telling him like, you're the tough guy. You're the tough guy, like rationalist scientist kid. Yeah. And your brother's like the emotional idiot. I guess. Yeah,
2: Jeff Burns sitting there going like, uh, "Kid, have you ever seen Sunset Boulevard?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, dude. Honestly, honestly, it's so weird, but it it just doesn't work at all. No. It's awesome.
2: But see, that's what's like again. I think kind of like cool about the film, and and again, both films is seeing seeing directors swing for the fences, and obviously in like very different ways. You know, in the case of uh, Crowns' film like this is yes this is an independent filmmaker who's an artist who's a very thoughtful person who has all this very cool source material and very cool ideas visually and and narratively and it's it's stuffed with all those ideas and and it's it's at times like a beautiful movie at times it's a very haunting movie i mean at times i was thinking of tarkovsky even you know i mean it it's 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 an existential horror movie at times it's it's its stillness and its space and its its emptiness as much as it is filled with you know, fantastic elements and horror and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, like it's, it's cool. It's cool. And it's cool for me to like kind of watch this movie and be like, I can see why this thing is, is, is revered and, and has been spoken of. It's, it's been on my list for a long time. I've, I've been meaning to watch this film. So I was really, really glad that you got to bring it to the table. But yeah, you know, I'm just really, really impressed by, by it and all those influences of of people and films and and stuff that that I like and and I saw it all kind of come together and not in a way where I felt that I was going like oh he's trying to do this and not doing it well like he's doing it very well you know he's he's referencing these things not intentionally but but I think like in in a very like uh like he's very clearly inspired by them and and transcends them it isn't just like knock off malick like knock off tarkovsky knock off whatever like it's it's his film but like yeah i mean look i'm going to give it up to 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 phantom phantom town as well like Dude, swinging for the fences as well. Like he's stuffing a ton of weird fucking shit (laughs) there that is like messy and ugly, but it is like part of what I love about full moon. And what's crazy is I didn't even like look at this guy, like his name, but like those other movies you've described that he's directed. I've seen like fucking most of those. I mean, I've seen all the puppet master movies, so I've seen his puppet master movies. I've seen a lot of full moon movies and it's part of what I love about full moon. It's, it's, it's that, like, Corman-esque idea. Here's the money. Make sure you do this. And other than that, do whatever the hell you want with it. Like, there isn't somebody overseeing it so intensely as a subsidy of a subsidy of, like, Full Moon Productions, whatever this Pulse Pounders, you know, <laughs> fucking
0: shit is. <laughs> you know, like... I want to work for Pulse Pounders.
2: Yeah. It's cool, man. I mean, you know, the movie, honestly, with... um Phantom Town that as it went along I started thinking of a lot which was clearly I think a big inspiration for him or, or clearly a movie that he really, really loves and figured like maybe I can try to kind of do that with this was actually John Carpenter's The Thing. Like once we really get into like the 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 creature yeah. element of it that almost like Lovecraftian shit that starts to happen like it was very much like The Thing to me seeing the way these these You know, because the idea is like people getting taken over as well. Like, can you trust who this is? Is this, you know, a real person? Is this mom? Is this dad? Maybe it isn't. But like, even the creature effects, you know, like the, like, like half of the person is still like human looking. And then the hand, the fingers are all like goopy and tentacly. It's like he's melting.
0: Truly. I mean, Phantom Town has craftsmanship on display. With the creature effects. Mm -hmm. They invested a lot into those monsters, into that design. And that's what I was so struck by the first time I saw it. If it wasn't green goo... If that was red blood, you know, we talked about the different shades of blood that you get to see and stuff. If this was red, I mean, this movie would be rated R. There is, like, some real nasty gore in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the fact that, like, because when you were saying, like, you were saying you would never show it to your kids because the whole thing is so cursed. But what really struck me the first time I saw it is when they seemingly rescue their parents from this, like, underground zone because there's all these pod people, like that are like they're sucking the lifeblood as we said similar to the way that the, the the blood of all evil is like coalescing in in eyes of fire they rescue their parents and then the big reveal of course is that these their parents it's not their real parents they rescued pod people version of their parents and arnie in a state of panic like climbs into the car and slams the door in the father's arm gets like stuck in the door and like in the window and he like rips his arm up and then he vomits green blood all over his boy.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> That's it's a gnarly scene, dude. And honestly, that's like the edge that Full Moon has that like a corporation in the 90s would never do. And I lost it when later in the film, when they try to make their getaway again and they all come back to the car. Cindy, the girl, just goes like, oh, there's a severed arm in the window. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You're right. because like, if, if this was
2: Buena Vista or whatever, oh, they would have the been fuck like, out of here. here no 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 you can't (laughs) like i mean just the the vomit alone was disgusting and terrifying yeah because even yeah Yeah. while the dad is then like beating on the window and is getting green blood and green vomit everywhere the mom is also on the other side and i feel like she just starts like spraying green goo from her mouth on the window and and he's like banging on the car like That is way too, like, amped up, I think, for, like, a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old, whoever is, like, the intended audience for this
1: thing. (laughs) Yeah, well, speaking of effects, I should mention that uh, a significant amount of the crew on Crying Blue Sky went on to work on A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, wow, Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the special effects guy, Tassilo Bauer, uh, was one of the effects people on Nightmare, and he went on to do Killer Clowns from Outer Space and some other stuff. Awesome. So, like, uh, they had a really good effects team, and I think, like, I think the effects are, are great. Mm-hmm. You know, the the tree monster guy, like, oh, I, yeah. I was eating that shit up. Definitely. The main monster guy
0: kind of looks like the the creature behind the dumpster in Mahalan Drive. Mm, Did yeah, you think about sure. that a little bit? Yeah, I yeah. can see it. I was going to say there was there was also a certain
2: like kind of like lynchian element, you know, to it. Uh for mm-hmm. for me, it was like really fucking cool seeing like the the effects in both of these films like the the practical effects as well. Like just to me, even if a movie is just like kind of dumb or shitty like you're saying like like let's be honest, Phantom Town is like dumb, you know, it's stupid. It's 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 fucked up, you know? But it's like, God damn it, like, seeing practical effects from great craftspeople who know what they're doing will always be a treat for me. And and I love seeing it. And even when it's in, in fucking something stupid like this, like, it rocks, man. Like, it's great. You also mentioned some of the bad CGI. And, and there is inde- definitely bad CGI, which immediately shows you, like, look, there were, like, these two paths. And what the hell happened yeah. where they suddenly were like... Yeah, that little CGI book creature that sprouts legs and starts walking around like that. That's what we need. We need more of that. Instead of the cool ass, like, eye of the creature that's, like, clearly like a puppet that they're manipulating. Like, no, that. We should have never left that behind,
1: you know? It's like Mike said to that NPC cowboy, uh, do you know what digital is? (laughs) (laughs) Can't say I do. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Sorry, partner look at my watch. <laughs> God, oh, I love the townspeople. I think that's so funny. They, because they quickly pick up on the fact, you know, Arnie's looking out the window and he notices everyone's Classic on a loop. Classic
1: hard-boiled character. Like, you know, he might as well be looking through Venetian blinds, <laughs> yeah. They have
2: that lighting on them at times. They have, like, the little, like, diagonal, like, stripes of, of
0: light and shadow on his face at a few moments. Yeah, I mean, because in the way he delivers his lines, he, like, his sister comes up and he's like you looking at Arnie? See him, in a couple of seconds a lady's gonna walk by and he's gonna say good evening to you ma'am. She'll say good evening walk by in the other direction.
1: Good evening to you ma'am.
0: Good evening. Told you. Cool! How'd you do it? That's like the fifth time I've seen them do it. They just keep walking up and down the street, crossing at the same spot every time, doing the same stuff over and over again. Maybe they just hate to say goodbye. But it's the same with everybody out there. Even the horses do the same stuff over and over again. It's like they're zombies or something. Zombies? You're starting to scare me, Arnie. This place is starting to scare me. I don't care what Mike says. It's no theme park. I don't think Mom and Dad ever left here.
2: seen it all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Shades of, like, shades of Marion Bad and the weird the weird like choreography of the townspeople in a loop, like definitely going through the motions Uh, like an effect that I kind of liked in that. It's part of how they kind of pick up that like, yeah, this is not right. Something's wrong here in the in the frontier town that they've wound up in is that there's a lot of, like, moments of people drinking, like, drinking whiskey. That's what cowboys do. But the bottles are all empty and the glasses are all empty. But they still, like, will, will take a shot and be like, mm, you know, that's good whiskey or whatever. Uh, one of the, and again, one of the weird-ass fucking, like, lines is... From the older teen, when he sees one of these guys take a swig of like an empty glass of whiskey, he says something like, you know, I've heard about these no alcohol amusement parks, but this is getting out of hand or something. I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, because he because he thinks they're in Colonial Williamsburg, right? But like, who, that is not something a human being would ever say in that way, oh, oh, of right?
0: Like, <laughs> yeah. I've heard about these no
2: alcohol amusement parks. He's like, lucky what? he
1: didn't get shot, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know,
2: that was another thing. I'm a little, you know, and we're getting we're gonna go to Andy's unlocker here for a second but a big sin big firearm sin is the cowboys are all pulling out their revolvers and they are all modern revolvers they were not the armorer was was off because again they were clearly in romania and didn't have access to a lot of single army cult cults that they would have had for you know all the great western films made in hollywood but they're pulling out like dirty hairy revolvers in the movie you know yeah, big sin in my book there.
0: Man, I mean, yeah, it is like I was just looking over at my notes and just laughing at all the different lines I had wrote down in my head. And But I was thinking that when, Andy, you were talking about how great some of the practical effects are, I, there's a line from Phantom Town that I want to like incorporate in terms of a scale of how effective gore is in a film. think Going back to gore theory, there's, you know, at one end of the spectrum, there's just cheap 90s cgi sludge like when they turn into little like ghostbusters slime yeah. goo uh and then at the other end of the spectrum the the measure of how great a practical effect is is if it can get you to react in the way that the boy does when he sees one of those monsters where he says talk about ugly that thing's worse than my math teacher
1: <laughs> a, br- a brutal line to end a, a fun sequence, uh, where he has to—he's like a zombie, and he's running the gauntlet of uh, you know pod people, cowboys out front on the main street of the town. <laughs> yes, you
2: know? yes, yes. He had another line right around that time too, where he was like cracking wise. And again, this is like such differences between their demeanors, between like yeah hard-boiled noir kid and like yeah like, knockoff Jim Carrey wannabe comedian guy. But, like, he he has a snappy comeback to one of the, the Frontiers people at the town where he's just kind of like, okay, man. And he says, I'll see you in Dr. Quinn Medicine, woman. Like, what
0: the <laughs> hell, you know? God, yeah, these, these kids are just a bunch of fucking smart asses. Just a bunch of goobers, dude. <laughs> From an alien planet. Yes, yeah
2: telling you that the, the 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 haunted townspeople were more normal to me than these kids
0: were yeah no, none of them have the reserve and and quiet character of the trapper in eyes of fire that guy was pretty cool he was like awesome, the trapper, dude I fucking loved that guy so much did
1: you recognize him Andy? I recognized him. I had to, like, look him up after the fact to be like, who is this guy? I know this guy. You definitely know this guy because it's Guy Boy. Yes. Who, in our world, famously played Frank Hackman on Miami Vice. That's three-episode recurring character. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Very, very bad boy. Uh... Mr. Boyd. Yes.
2: Yeah, and I've seen him in some other stuff as well. Yeah,
1: he's in, like, Body Double and shit. He's in a ton of shit.
2: Yeah, because I knew. I was like, yeah, but in this movie, he's got, like, a beard, and he's got this, like, crazy, like, wig of blonde, like, stringy hair on. So I, I just kept being like, who is he? You know, he's good. And I did also, of course, recognize... Uh, the, the Mr. Smythe, the preacher, he's been in quite a lot of movies. He was very recognizable to me. I think Dennis Lipscomb yeah. is his name. Yeah. Folks, you, you know, this guy, you've seen him in a lot of stuff. Uh, he kind of looks like Jack White. Yeah. He's generally like usually a, a similar character, a sort of smarmy, like creepy guy Yeah, in a lot of stuff. But yeah, I, you know, what I, what I kind of, uh, enjoyed too was, was yeah, this, this like rich tapestry of. America and this idea of like basically how the American project has just been a complete and utter fucking disaster for everybody involved. Yeah. This preacher, I think we should point out as well, you know, you described him earlier, Marsh. Is this yeah, he's, he's trying to be this sort of like rational thinking man, but my take on him, the read that I had on him throughout the whole thing is like, he's a con man. Oh yeah, He's a con man. And I, in my interpretation was like, I bet he's not even a fucking preacher, you know, like he's, he's a goddamn liar about everything. And, and we discover throughout the film that like, yes, he's like the worst human being imaginable who has basically built like a cult out of this. I didn't even think about the John Smith shit, but until you brought that up, I'm like, of course now it makes total fucking sense. You know, this man of God getting like literally like run out of town. My religion says,
1: yeah, I get all the women.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, I'll take you all to the promised land. Follow me. Uh, no, sorry, folks.
1: It is not the promised land at all. But yeah, that's why, again, like the the Marian character is, yeah, occupies the nether zone between, you know so-called savagery and so-called civilization. He's the nebulous figure in the middle, but then he just gets fucking trapped there like everyone else. Yeah. You
2: know? yeah. He is the one though that is, even though it was his idea to go there uh, and he misses the initial read, he quickly picks up on the signs that this is a very, very, very bad, bad place to hide out. It wasn't and his
1: idea to stay.
2: I'll tell no, you that no, yeah. because there are multiple moments where he's like, pack it up. We're out of here, but it is Smite's like megalomania that, that really kicks in. That's where the, the Age vibes like really start kicking off where he's just foresees now this this new nation being built here in this
0: this bloody awful valley. It reminded me a lot of us playing the forest.
1: Yes. Oh my god dude. Yeah, yeah dude. Under, underlined like this, in you know? my notes. This is us playing the forest. Yes. Yeah.
0: Especially when they have to start fortifying <laughs> They're (laughs) They're, like building up. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, they're making like building up their defenses, and it's just like a constant onslaught of mud people. Anytime you think everything's going to be okay, you got those guys screaming and knocking on your door again. Yeah. And it, yeah, that to me. Like that game almost feels like an adaptation of that sequence of this film. Well, I'll tell you
2: what, these people uh, didn't have uh, Ryan running off on his own to build a fucking
0: slide or a zip line that goes nowhere just for for kicks, you know? But think of how much more comfortable they would have been if they had a sauna.
2: That's true, that's true, but they were uh, indeed a lot more practical. I feel like that was Marsh and I. We were the ones building the damn walls while you were like, hey, check out this, I built a table or whatever, you know?
1: (laughs) I was like Jesus, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's like yeah. The the film definitely has like the default for these frontiers people is like panic, you know. the The polygamists are 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 ruining the town, you know, and then them out there, you know, like yeah. freaking out, like oh, the fucking evil spirits are ruining the vibe in the promised land, you know. Oh, yeah. And I love how Smythe like is so clearly like to your point, Andy, like improvising along the way, like yeah, he's full of shit. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like anytime anything happens, he's like calling it, you know, as if yes, he has some sort of control and commune with God, you know, but, uh, even his like yeah.
2: initial escape when he's strung up on the rope. And we've described that moment where it, it seems to sort of like the rope kind of like magically breaks. It's, more or less to me, right? It's implied that it's Leah. Yeah. Like she's the one with it's the actual,
1: backwards shit, you know? Yeah.
2: She's the one with the actual like magical power, any miracles that seem to be happening to them, including their, their escape on the boat. Right. It's, it's because of her, right. you know, she is the one that is, Uh, in tune more to, to something supernatural or mystical. And that's to me where the fantasy elements really started to kick in. Because in addition to, again, all these things we've been describing, there's also this undercurrent, again, in like folklore or whatever of like Irish, specifically like Irish, uh, myths, because they're all, um, or, or half of them anyway, and certainly like the Dalton family, they are Irish immigrants, and there are times where they're referencing things like banshees, you know, and that and saying da, uh, da, yeah, and and they at a certain point even refer to Leah as a fairy, yeah. uh, rooted in traditional Irish folk tales and mythology. So, so there is that element that really starts to also play in like, yeah, it's horror. Yeah. It's creatures. There's elements of native American myth. There's, there's, there's all this stuff like packed into this movie. And, and it's fun to kind of just like see, like I said, again, all these elements like working together in really like surprising
1: ways constantly. One of the big differences between the cuts is the treatment of Leah her uh, her witchery is, is slow played in the version that we watched, which I like. And I watched enough of the of Eyes of Fire just to check it out. I watched like the first 30 yeah. minutes. And one of the things that it does that I just absolutely hate is that it treats her witchcraft as like explicit from the beginning. And it uh. does so by whenever like uh, an exciting moment happens, she has a flash forward. And then it cuts back to her showing that she is having premonitions, oh, and it like does whoa. this throughout. Where like if something's about to happen, she sees it, um, and I'm just like, it's already in the performance that she's a witch. It's yeah. not really like a secret. Yeah, it's just done much more gracefully, I think, in *Crying Blue Skies*. So I was actually very thankful. It's like these like shock cuts, like "Ooh, she's a witch," and I'm just like, "Yeah, I know." Oh. It's much more interesting <laughs> that we see her like everyone else, you know? I don't know. So yeah. it seems yeah. then
2: like the way this is uh, like. The two versions, it's like he got a bunch of, like, bad notes. And I think, as you put it, like, he he sort of, like, backed down or, or like, chickened out. It's like he got bad notes from yeah. somebody. It's like and, bad test screening
1: or whatever. Yeah, you know?
2: and he was just like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, I guess, yeah, it needs to be a little bit more straightforward or whatever. But, like, he clearly didn't build it from the ground up to be straightforward uh, or as explicit as as all that. So, yeah, that's
0: that's kind of a bummer. You got to say Jeff Burr, you know, he's a man who stood his ground (laughs) with Phantom Town. (laughs) For better or
1: worse. You know, mean, what, you know what he did in the third act? Uh it, it makes you wonder this guy's in like B movie circles. Did he see the rift? Because I feel a, a big rift vibe uh in the third act of Phantom Town, where they're just running around these caves and there's like tentacles and sort of like alien pod things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very big rift vibes, I gotta say.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah
1: didn't have quite the budget there
2: you know no no and no arlie Ermy either unfortunately but yeah i mean that's it 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 was very to me like a hodgepodge of like a lot of different other like horror movies and you know sometimes that can lead to you being like oh i've seen this before and i've seen it better but like somehow in this that never really like affected me all that too much even though i could point to moments of being like yeah it's kind of like this it's kind of like that like this is still just so like bonkers and fucking odd that like it was its own thing there's nothing else like this particular as you put it ryan like fusion of these things you know it isn't explicitly a knockoff it's it's it is it it is a free film it is its own film and (laughs) and yes it,
1: it stands on its own like weirdly Sort of shaped legs. There's a moment in the film that I think is characteristic of that where it has no connection to really anything else. But when the kids at the end have like the hotel registry, which is all tied into like the the folklore in the film, and they're fucking like stabbing this book and like tearing the pages up, and it's intercutting with all like this like pond people up on Main Street in the western town, which is now like fully lit green green fog green smoke and it looks like the zombies are having a rave like they're just fucking going nuts in the middle of the street and I'm like this is kind of like the opening but like for zombies and I was just like yeah. really vibing with the, the zombie death rave they're all getting like sucked back into the earth but I'm like it's 1998 like they're listening to Paul Oaken Oakenfeld or whatever <laughs> you know like dude <laughs> yeah there is there's a
2: lot of just like goofiness in in how you know especially they they handle like the bigger set pieces of of phantom town you know whenever there's a lot of elements in there at any at any particular point in time uh you can get the sense that that yeah there there's there's people who don't really understand like what's supposed to be happening in this moment you know again the party which which they really like you said a lot of the budget went into the practicals i think yeah all the budget was the party and then yeah the the creature effects and stuff like that like that's it you know because like the the party which I just keep going back to. It's like it it was it was anarchy. There was no sense. No parents. I mean, yeah, no parents, no rules. Ryan, like, yeah, I God, you should have brought this to the table for that. I mean, I'm glad you brought it now. You know, it's so fun. But like, yeah, like it, it's like they're making things up as they went along. But they they clearly had a plan. But it also is just like. I don't
0: care, do whatever the hell you want, you know? I mean, yeah, it's... You feel a little bit of that with a few scenes in the film. There's like a particular shot that... I think they like never intended to use for its full duration but then like didn't think of any other shots around it or a way to communicate anything visually so they had to just explain it. There's a really funny moment where the boy is trying, Arnie is like trying to escape from the jail cell and he remembers uh, he has like his guitar string in his pocket and the shot seems to be like 45 seconds long of just his hands setting up the guitar string and it has like clearly like a bit of narration that was was added well after the fact where he's just like, My guitar string, maybe enough to, to do the job sheriff doesn't seem too strong you know like he's just talking as he's dealing with it yeah what the fuck does that mean sheriff doesn't seem too
2: strong yeah i mean yeah and then he lays out the worst trap in the history of movies which is yes his little guitar string foot strap by the way like yeah who the fuck just carries around a guitar string in their pocket i mean you never
1: know
0: when you're gonna need to rock out i suppose yeah i suppose in
1: 1998
0: i do love how fragile all the pod people are because when they like have that that concierge at the hotel the little girl just kicks him in the leg because he's being mean and he just collapses like his whole you know he turns into green goop they're they're all and that's even the thing when he says oh it doesn't seem too strong it's like yeah these guys have guns that can't actually kill you but if you can get in there it seems like you can really just knock them cold with, with a little bit of a flick of the wrist. Yeah, in the, in the gunfight, in
2: the saloon gunfight, uh, the, the the boys grab guns and they're thinking like, Well, we'll burn these guys down. The guns don't work. So then, yeah, the older kid uh, is just kind of like, oh, he, he pulls like the Superman and he just whips the gun at one of the creatures and it just sticks in his fucking head. It just like, yeah. it just like, just, oh man. oh
0: Unbelievable aim in this movie. That boy, because that's the big climax when there's the big eyeball creature whose tentacles are sucking up the kids. And they remember that they have this giant rattlesnake tooth given to them by the old man at the gas station that still has some poison in it. And that seems so funny. It's like the girl, like, it's like she gets it out of her pocket. And he's like, now throw it to me. And I was like, what? Excuse me? Mm-hmm. No. An extra
1: step. You
0: know, (laughs) and he still he catches it, and then he's still then able to throw it into the eyeball. In my memory, I was like, oh, she must just take the rattlesnake tooth and claw at the tentacles that's like on her neck. The fact that that took two throws. Yeah, um, he didn't trust her to take the. He didn't. He didn't trust her to take the
2: final <laughs> shot. You know, like, no, 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 no. Give it to me. Give it to me instead.
1: Right. And really, it's a double climax because after they escape the main sort of monster underground, they go upstairs and there's like a mutilated the thing sheriff uh, who stands in their way. And it also made me think, you know, maybe they got some money under the table from the Chevy Corporation because throughout the Film, There's a lot of highlighting the 1967 Chevy Impala, their words, not mine, uh, several times throughout the film. And it climaxes then where they have the classic showdown with the in the you know, again, it's all pretty much on Main Street, you know, and they're back on Main Street. And instead of a duel, they all get in the car, and they're like, don't worry, this Chevy rocks. Mm-hmm. And then they fucking splatter the sheriff on the windshield. And it's like, yeah, Chevy rules, you know? That's sort of what I took away from the from the double climax. See, I think it's a triple
0: climax, because then we get, oh, yeah. we get another fucking party. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, they like, milk so much out of that party, you know? They go back to the rager. Yeah, which probably has, like, my favorite line of the film is, like, after the horrors of Longhand, dreaming their way in, seeing pod people version of their parents mutilated and gored all of these lizard men with tentacles and green pus and just all this, all these terrors. There they are again in their British invasion, shagadelic outfits, hopping up and down, and it says, man,
1: good feels good to be rockin'. <laughs> <laughs> and then they make a and then they make a, a reference to Wizard of Oz for the second time for some reason, you know? Like I mean, I know why, but it's like so what is this doing here now, you know? What I loved about the
2: the like rock and roll scenes with them is is that they they clearly had this rock track that, you know, they they put into the mix, you know, in in yeah. you know post post production, but they also were capturing just, like, production sound. Dude, yes. I'm so glad yes. you
1: brought this up. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and, like, <Yeah>. the, the, <laughs> the older kid is, like, he is, as you mentioned, he is, like, he's in it. He's like Fred Durst. He's jumping around, you know? And you can hear his feet like pounding on that set like you hear it so clunky and loud in the mix like it's louder than the rock music which they are supposedly like just like got turned up to 11
1: and other people are pogoing too there's like other steps it reminded me of i show this clip in class in film history of Uh, Animal Crackers, the Marx Brothers movie, because it's from 1930 and it kind of sounds like shit. And there's scenes in that movie where like a bunch of people scurry across the stage and it's just like, ( אתהHi) yeah,
2: a herd of elephants. Yeah, you can hear
1: it. It's like what it reminded me of. Like just the thuds on the floor. Like they didn't even mix it out. Like it's so awesome. (laughs) Yeah,
2: dude.
0: So funny. So funny. Man, it's like there's a few other things I was just thinking about with with Eyes of Fire that. Like, I don't have too much to say. There are just like so many really cool images I keep thinking about, you know, like these creatures are amazing. I love that we have shots of just naked people soaked in mud, sucking on the udders of cows. I love when there's the severed cow head that a guy is wearing and they're running around with that and they shoot him and he explodes and disappears, but the cow head stays behind covered in maggots. I love that we have, like, a a virgin birth of a baby goat that then the Joseph Smith preacher also takes as a miracle and a sign of goodness. There's just, like, all these little details that are scattered throughout, both in terms of, like, yeah, actual set pieces and effects and then all those other little things um, that just, yeah, it gives it such a nice quality. It's just, like, a really memorable film that has its own unique vibe and atmosphere to
1: it. There's also a lot of, uh, like, solarizing of the images, which I learned comes from his photography work. Uh, And he would often combine, like, he would do, like, matte sort of photography where he was combining, like, technology and nature in these, like, solarized images. Uh, So he had a lot of practice, like, doing that kind of thing. And it's all over this film. And some of the, like, the color timing in this film is, like, you know, at times, very aggressive, very crazy. The sky is just fucking, like, orange, or the whole image is just, like, nuclear orange for a second, like when they're putting up the cross. Mm-hmm. Passion, you know? Uh, we're back at the Passion, <laughs> and that shit is, like, so ominous. But uh, it's used to such great effect, like, and it's not overused, even though it's used a lot, but I really liked... Just that, like the whole hallucinatory treatment of everything, I think is so well done. And so many dissolves, another great, just like dissolve canon, because it really is kind of like once they're lost in the fucking valley of the dead, it's, they're just like v- vignettes, you know? There's no story yeah. mm-hmm. anymore because they're not going. Well, the story is, yeah, they're trying to like starts starts civilization here or whatever. And it's uh, not going great. There's devils here. And someone didn't tell me. And I know why. You
2: know who I bet is a big fan of this movie? Ben Wheatley. Like I, I was thinking a lot about a field in England. Uh, after I sort of watched this movie, and again, this kind of idea, which is essentially, like, they're just, uh, at, like, a field in America, yeah. right? It's the same idea of, like, hey, we enter this this space, uh, you know. The fairy ring. Yeah, yeah. R- running from the very real horrors of war or, yeah, Western expansion or whatever. And then, yeah, like, accidentally stepping, like, outside of... of you know rational time and space natural laws as we know it and and uh yeah like basically everybody just losing their fucking minds over the 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 indescribable and and again characters that are like going crazy because they're trying to to treat these things like there's some sort of explanation for it you know i i was like cracking up when like smythe uh, who at first, you know, thinks, oh, the yeah, the natives they they like us because this strange child just sort of like is there, right? And he's he's like, great, we can baptize one of them. You know, this is this is my yeah. ticket. You know, this is how it all starts for me, spreading the good word and that sort of thing. So he's like, hey, w- these people who are around, like, we're gonna win them over. They're they're the mud people, right? We just gotta we just gotta teach them about Jesus and that sort of thing. Um the thing that makes him flip out is when all of his books are gone one day, right when the books have disappeared. Oh yeah and, like <laughs> I was like just cracking up that that's like for him the straw that like broke the camel's back
0: God
1: damn barbarians. <laughs>
2: How do they get in? Goddamn good question! Your people just let them walk right in? The bloody cretins! <laughs> the best minds of Europe.
0: God damn! God
2: damn! God damn it! You know, and he's so <laughs> upset about. It. In spite of again, like all this crazy shit that's happening, it's like they took yeah. my fucking like fucking. They took my books, man. Like that's bullshit. Yeah. And of course,
0: when they return, right, like all the pages torn out, that was like awesome. You know, it was great. Yeah, I was confused at first. I thought that was like just his Bible. And then, even then, I was like, Bible's long, but that is a lot of pages. Oh, and then, yeah. yeah, The Greatest Minds of Europe, I realized it was his entire library. Yeah,
1: like all good cult leaders, he needs like a bunch of stuff to steal from and, you know, yeah. and like new strategies of control or whatever. But yeah, it's certainly fun to see him lose his grip on uh, both the crew and reality as the film goes along because, you know, he's, he's the false preacher. It's, it's not going to happen. Nah, no siri god i mean yeah like it really is yeah it's a very poetic and hallucinatory film i'm like when i think about it i i don't even think about it yeah like rationally i just kind of like see all these insane images that, yeah. that populate this same movie. for phantom <laughs> town yeah <laughs> it's they, they, they true are in a sense they are
2: both <laughs> they are both fever dreams uh, yes, of of sort of two different ends of the the fever dream spectrum. That's <laughs> there are some amazing like stark images that that are like you know that have stayed with me since viewing the film that that aren't aren't even necessarily i would say like hugely pivotal moments but like there's just so many shots there's just so many instances where i'm like god damn that fucking that is just so awesome it goes so hard like the 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 raft even now i'm just like thinking back on the raft like once they've like escaped uh they, they they send the raft still down the river to hope that the the people are tracking it and the shot of the raft with those like you know, they basically put like scarecrows of themselves on the raft yeah, the in like, yeah, these effigies, but at the head of the raft, seated in a chair is like the guy who like ate an arrow to the chest or whatever. And he's just sitting there with his eyes open, this corpse just floating down the river at the head of the raft. Like that was so amazing. And he was the truest
1: believer as well. He was. Know. Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, Shot to the heart, you know, but yeah, just like. Very unsettling. Uh, it's awesome. And then, yes, uh, at the end, it's revealed that, like, they're talking to a priest, which, is, again, is completely different from Eyes of Fire. Um, but I didn't watch the end of Eyes of Fire, so I don't know how it wraps up. But I do know...
2: I too- read how it wraps up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I read how it wraps up. Uh, so they go back to the French, I guess, they're, like, French soldiers or something like that. And... Um, the the framing, I guess, is them, you know, it's kind of like what happened to you or whatever. And they're, they're talking about it. And then the French, I, I think, if I m- remember it correctly, are kind of like, okay, well, we're going to go check out this valley. We're going to go check out this valley. But they say like, okay, take the kids away. And one of the French soldiers, this is a little confusing, but I guess one of the French soldiers is like, okay, I'll take them. And like the last shot is... The French soldier who's going to take the kids away, his eyes glow suddenly. And I guess the implication oh, sure. is supposed to be yeah. that he is, like, like somehow Leah is involved in well, this. She's
1: always involved. You yeah. Mm-hmm. She got
0: phantom towned yeah she's She's the queen of the forest dude dude.
1: she's the phantom of the forest you know and we don't have to we don't have to get into all that but yeah that sort of like witchcraft element in the version we watched yeah sort of like builds up to a to a explicit sort of release and climax yeah Yeah. like it's thinking
0: about these fever dreams are there any other horror western fever dreams you love andy I mean Marsh referenced one already. I I am a I've
2: long been a a huge like uh stan of Antonio Bird's ravenous. I think it's just such an awesome and very like underappreciated movie. Uh I I think it's funny, it's weird, it's it's violent, it's it's great. Um I, I think it's got an awesome cast, and, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great one. If, if you've never seen Rav folks, check it out. If, if for nothing else, uh, The Score, which is one of my all-time favorite movie
1: scores. Kyle wanted to play it at our wedding. I remember you saying <laughs> that, dude. Yeah. It didn't make the cut. But uh, that's how much we like the Ravenous score.
0: Oh, dude, the theme of Ravenous is one of my favorite pieces of movie music. I I love that movie, and and I wanted Toasty Pillow to play at our wedding, oh, but Jesus they were booked. Christ, shut up, man!
2: And you know what? I'm I'm also a fan of this one. I know there's like mixed, very very mixed reactions to it, but I gotta admit, I I kind of like it, uh, even though I think it's like his. It's his, like, starter film, but I kind of like Bone Tomahawk, too. I think that's got some really, like, <laughs> gnarly fucking moments. I mean, speaking of gore, that has one of, like, the the, the, the goriest, like, sections of, of, I think, a film you'll see coming out of, uh, out of the United States. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of like it. I don't think it's a, a great film, and I think he's gone on, Zoller's gone on to make much better films than Bone Tomahawk. But I think that's kind of a fun one.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I had a, I had a freaky good time, you know? Yeah. Feels good to be rocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were... thanks,
2: guys. I really enjoyed them.
1: Happy Halloween. Yes, happy, happy ween. Uh, next week, it's Ryan's topic, if he can think of one. Uh, what do you got going for us? Yeah, normally I'm such a good
0: student, and I always have my topic ready, and I didn't at the top of this episode. And, you know... So often I look inward and I think, God, like, what, what do I want to watch? What do I want to watch? But then I thought, you know what? I should see what Molly wants to watch. Because she has to watch all these gauntlet movies typically with me. I usually do them back to back. So she has to watch usually one of the two unless she really wants to see both. So while we were on here, I texted Molly and I said, I don't have my gauntlet theme. What do you want to see? And her first reaction made me laugh. She uh, just replied, Convoy. Because Molly loves the song Convoy. She loves the Sam Peckinpah film Convoy. And it's like just her go to. So I thought, oh, that's actually a great idea. Let's do movies about trucks. Trucks. Let's join the convoy. Well, convoys can be on water as well. Yes, that's true. She wants trucks. Trucks is the topic. Convoy is the funny title. Movies about trucks. Trucks. <laughs> movies about trucks, not about convoys explicitly, though. Not about convoys explicitly. Trucks. Convoys is just fun to say.
2: Trucks is fun to say, too. I've always liked the word
0: trucks. I, it's a nice word. <laughs> trucks. It's
1: got a good, yeah. like, meat to it. Okay. Yeah. Beep beep. <laughs> All right.
0: Or, uh, uh. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yes,
1: yes. (laughs) As always, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and SoundCloud and send us emails to Marsh's (laughs) Mailbag. I forgot what it was called. (laughs) Send us emails to Marsh's Mailbag at gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone.
0: In the old days you wanted to be a brave, a
1: warrior, you have to go out into a place of death. You have to face death. A child faces death. And he dies. And is reborn as a brave, as a man. The thing is, not everybody gets to be reborn. Sometimes you face death. You just die. Maybe you be better you all just went home.
0: Hey, I've got everything under control. Of the car. This guy knows about longhand. Yeah? I'm Whatever, look. You know, if you know something, please. Maybe I can tell you a story I know. We really don't have time for stories.